0: Hey, thanks for joining us here on The House Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by this message. If you want to learn more about The House, check out our website at welcometothehouse.com or download The House app. You know what? I am excited to be able to finish up our series, Us and Them, today. And I know that this series, hopefully it has blessed you and helped your relationships be stronger and healthier because that is our hope. I believe that God has that for you. You know, there may be somebody in the room that, you said you know what actually I've had some really hurtful relationships in the past or even relationships that you have currently that you're just maybe close to giving up on but I believe God can restore anything that nothing is too far gone for him to touch and for him to change and so whether it be a coworker that you're not getting along with or a boss or a neighbor or your spouse or your child God can move in our relationships. And that is really good news. You know what? I want to talk to you a little bit about, uh, you know, as a mom, I am often uh, called upon to find stuff. This week, my daughter was looking for a scraper to take a sticker off of her car. And I was like, it's underneath the sink. And, you know, of course, she looks for a little bit and she can't find it. Uh, And she says it's not there. That's always the solution or the conclusion. Uh, It's not there after they look and can't find it. And so I I said, hey, do you want me to go look because I know I will find it? Or do you want to look again? And she looked again, and she was like, I need your help. And so sure enough, I went over there, and I looked, and guess where it was? It was underneath the sink. And so, uh, you know, even it's a joke now that, I will tell my kids, if I have to go look for it, you got to pay me a dollar if I find it. <laughs> and so oftentimes their uh, <laughs> their lack of money will cause them to look a little harder. Uh, but you know what? We all have gone into a room and looked for something and someone else has come in and it's been right in front of our face or it's been right there and we've just missed it. So, you know, this is actually something that there have been researchers interested on why our brains do that. And in the early 2000s, researchers began to develop like testing and like why do our brains not connect when we see what we're looking for. Sometimes when maybe we were expecting something different and it was a little bit off, it just caused us not to see it at all. So there is a study done at the University of California, Santa Barbara. And they used this picture and showed a whole bunch of people. Thank you so much. And uh, they um, actually showed people and asked people where the toothbrush was. So we're going to put that picture up, and we're going to ask you where the toothbrush is. Here's a messy bathroom. There's a lot of stuff going on. Does anybody find the toothbrush? Okay, so there is two toothbrushes, actually. And in this study, most people found the small toothbrush in front of the sink and did not see the large toothbrush behind the sink. So who saw the, the small one? Okay, so the majority of us, and that it goes along with the scientific research, the majority of people saw the small toothbrush. Okay, so there's two reasons why they determined that people saw the small one without, without seeing the large one, which I You know, if you're not in this situation, you would think, of course, the large one would stand out. But because I told you what to expect, you looked for the toothbrush and you went ahead in your mind, scaled it to the picture. So when you looked at the picture, you had already determined that the toothbrush would be a certain size according to the surroundings. And so we do that without even thinking. So one point is, is the fact that the scale matters you had already determined the scale. And the next thing would be is if I would have just showed you the picture, you may have seen the red boot, you may have seen the deodorant, the sunscreen, but instead you saw the toothbrush because I told you to look for it. And you saw the small one instead of the big one. So Jesus was way ahead of the University of California and this report by the New York Times. He actually gave us a similar example in Matthew 7. So let's go there. Judge not that, you not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. When we read this, it sounds completely and totally irrational. Why would you be worried about the speck in someone else's eye when you have a log in your own? If you don't take the log out of your own eye, you're going to bleed out, you're going to die. Okay, so what would be the point of you looking for a speck in someone else's eye Yet, it is exactly what happens when we have irrational feelings that lead us to see the wrong thing in the picture of relationships. You know, we tend to attempt to point or to protect ourselves. And so, in the attempt to protect ourselves, we'll blame someone else, we will find that small flaw, we will f- try to fix someone else to take the attention off of our own thing or we will choose to judge another person. What the Bible says is unrighteously. And so I have two caveats as we dig into this scripture. One of them is this is not talking about not judging. If you are a Christian and maybe you had a non-Christian friend or family member, maybe call you judgmental. They may even be familiar with the scripture and say, don't judge me. Okay, so that is a portion of Scripture taken out of context. Because in John 7, it actually says, don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So we are to judge. It is how we judge, why we judge, that makes the difference. And so we judge rightly when we're not judging by our feelings. We're judging by God's standard and not just by his rules, but according to his heart. And we're judging being led by the Holy Spirit. And so that's why if you're on a serve team or if you're in a life group, if you're in this church and you said, this is my church and I want to be known and I want to be loved and I want to be challenged. Guess what? You may have a conversation with a leader or a friend that says, hey, you know what? When you do this or this part of your life, it's not taking you anywhere. It's hurting you. And they want to help you. That is not the same as what this scripture is talking about, judging. That is rightly judging. And one of the ways we can determine that is if the Holy Spirit is leading our conversations and correcting us, then that means that that person has already evaluated themselves first. They have put themselves in a position where you saying yes to serve team, saying yes to life group, maybe saying you said yes to your spouse. That would be a person that would be able to have a conversation with you. You're in a friendship that you actually chose, and that person is allowed to have that conversation because you actually are not forced to be in that friendship. You have chosen that. And so when we are able to go to the Lord and be spirit-led, we can help people because we're for them. We're not against them. And so, this is talking about someone who has a plank in their own eye and they are against the other person. They're not for the other person, they are against them. And so, the other caveat is just similar to taking things out of context. You know, when someone is in a harmful or maybe a situation that they were physically violated or harmed, if we look at this scripture and think we can't say anything, then that person would remain in an unsafe situation. And so that is not what this scripture is referring to. This scripture is specifically talking about criticism and pointing out something that is lesser than than what you are dealing with. Something that is different than what you're dealing with. It is being judgmental and critical of someone whom is not worthy of that. Does that make sense? And usually those moments are the times where we repel people even the most. But Pastor Stephen referred last week to relationships and how sometimes they end up becoming divided and that's not God's plan. So sometimes it's us. That means you and I have a misunderstanding and we need clarity. Sometimes it's them. They're mostly wrong. But where we have to start is the fact that it's me. There is a part of this that is my fault There is a part of this that God is teaching me something. There is a part of this that God wants to grow me. There is a part that I can own that I need to own. So today my assignment is, it's not you, it's me. So we are going to talk about the me portion. Now, we do all recognize there is a speck. We all have a speck in our eye. Okay, but we're talking about the log that we're ignoring. And we're going to recognize that and make sure that we get that out. Philippians 2 3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. This is not saying have low self esteem. Okay, this is talking about humility and it's referring to sin and to pride, which comes out in different forms because oftentimes we're trying to protect ourselves and that can go into a decision to actually sin. To be hypocritical. Hypocrisy is just something basically I'm willing, I'm wanting to hold you to a standard that I'm not willing to hold myself to. That's what hypocrisy is. And it's easy to do that. Self-righteousness and conceit. Thinking of ourselves better than someone else. And it is human nature for us to assess people. My husband always uses this example about men love to go into every room and they have already assessed who they could beat you know. And so they already know who they need to make alliances with if there's somebody they they couldn't beat. And so this is a, just a funny example of the fact that we have to make sure that our flesh is going to go straight to that we're better than someone else. Women do it too by the way, no offense to men. Women usually do it for like appearance sake. Uh, but selfishness is another way that pride comes out. And that means that we only care about our own perspective. We only care about our own feelings. We only care about our own desires and we're mad that everybody else isn't seeing it the way we see it and isn't feeling it the way we feel it and isn't desiring it the way we desire it. And so then the next thing is offense. And a lot of times I think that we discredit offense under pride because we don't understand that the whole reason why we're offended is because we made something someone said or something someone did all about me. And so we didn't take into consideration the intention behind what was said, the context behind what was done. And so then we take an offense and we think, oh, it's them. They did something wrong to me when a lot of times we made it about us and now it is actually pride. So Ephesians four thirty two says, what we should do and what we want to do, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now this gives us all like warm and fuzzies. I'm going to go to a church like that, <laughs> you know, and I think that one of the things we need to remember is, is that even though this sounds warm and fuzzy and we want to hold everybody else to this standard because we want to go to a church with people that do this then that means we have to actually take responsibility to apply this to our own life so that we can all work in our relationship and unity. Okay, so it is a hard pill to swallow, but think about just this one specific portion where it says, as God in Christ forgave you. That's how we're to forgive. And I was thinking about this and thinking about salvation and how one of the unique things about Jesus and what he did was that he sacrificed his whole life and he didn't save us partially. He saved us fully. He didn't heal us partially. He healed us fully. He didn't spare us from the, the debt that we owed for sin. He actually paid all of the debt. He didn't forgive us for some f- sins and not others. He forgave us from all the sins. And so if that's the standard then how many people are we holding resentment towards because we believe they deserve forgiveness in part of the things that they've done and acted, but not all of the things that they've done and acted? Because we have our own rating system of righteousness, and it's not necessarily God's standard and God's heart. So I don't know if you've noticed, but people generally like to look at themselves in the mirror. And so when you walk by glass or reflection, even if it's not a mirror, our human nature is to turn to look at ourselves. And so that sounds really vain. And I think some of it is vanity, but not all of it's vanity because who has been helped by a mirror before? Okay, I've been helped, made sure that that food is out of my teeth. You know what I'm saying? All the things that may be haywire that you didn't realize. And so you look in the mirror and it saved you, right? That was helpful because it showed you the things that you could change that would be helpful. So there are two mirrors that we often neglect, and that is relationships, and that is the Bible. And these two mirrors are going to help us thrive in relationship and keep us from the irrational feelings that want to rob the health in our relationships and lead us to unity in relationship. So relationships are a mirror. Our relationships often reflect how we view ourselves rather good or bad they bring out who we really are they bring out what is really inside of us and sometimes that is the best and sometimes that is the worst and what we must do is not ignore the worst the one thing about being a Christian is we have help to address the worst before Christ the worst is the first thing that we want to avoid Because we don't know how to fix it. But Jesus has already made a way for us to address the worst. We can repent. We can have the Holy Spirit's power to help us overcome. And so one of the areas that I feel like brings the most anxiety into our life is in the area of relationships. And oftentimes it has to do with the thing in that person that is not changing. And our attention and our time is focused on this speck in their eye. And then we lose peace, we lose joy, and really we lose purpose and focus for our purpose because we're worried about something that we can never change. But then, yeah, we, when we are able to say, you know, actually, I can humble myself and I can come to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help in this area— what could happen in our relationship? So let's look at First Peter five, six through seven. And it says, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. See, relationships are a gift from the Lord. It actually reveals our shortcomings. It reveals your shortcomings. It reveals my shortcomings. And it reminds me that, there, that the Lord has no shortcomings. <laughs> and it reminds me how much I need him. And it reminds me even if, let, let's say it says, humble myself and let him exalt me. If I am more focused at the fact that someone doesn't hear me or someone doesn't see me or someone doesn't understand me and I'm more focused on that than I am focused on myself, I'm not humbling myself in prayer. I'm not finding what I need in him. I'm looking for someone else to provide something they could never provide. And so the next thing is it says casting all your anxieties on him. And we humble ourselves and we cast our anxiety on him through prayer. That is a way that we have access to the Father. He sent his son because he cared for us. And so oftentimes we are looking for care from other people. They don't act like they care about me. Now, we may not say that specifically and that clearly and that honestly, but a lot of our frustration comes down to we don't feel cared for. Maybe we're looking for intimacy from that person, but yet we haven't taken access to have intimacy with the Lord. And so we're complaining about that person not feeling connected to me, But we're not being connected to the Lord, making sure we're not putting more pressure on that person that they could ever handle. A relationship is two ways, and you have to build it together. Intimacy and connection does not just happen, but it does happen when we engage in our relationship with the Lord, because he has made an uninterrupted way for us to have intimacy with him. And because we know we're cared for, we can have healthy, unified relationships. And so the Bible is also a mirror. James 1, through 24, it says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. Now this sounds as silly as the first scripture of the comparison. But the word is supposed to be a mirror that we look at, that we actually change the food in our teeth. Okay, and if we don't change the food in our teeth, people would think you just looked in the mirror and you chose to keep the food in your teeth. <laughs> and that's what it's like when we come to Sunday morning and we hear this sermon, or we come and we open our Bible on a daily basis, and it's like you you looked in the mirror and you chose to keep that? Because that's gonna divide your relationship. You know, the word of God is for us, it's not for our flesh but it is for strengthening our spirit. And that is one of the reasons why when we pray, we get past our flesh and we get to the spirit because we don't want our flesh and our irrational feelings leading us. So two of the responses that we have when we neglect the mirror of the word in relationships is either we withdraw from relationships. Why? Because someone was human. That is usually the reason why we withdraw from relationships. The other response we have is we engage more in attempts to fix them, to correct them, to control them. And then there is a clinginess. There is a neediness. There is a control that will never work because we cannot change people. The Lord is the only one who can change the other person. And so we, yes. And so before Christ, we could blame someone else. We could let someone else fix our messes. But now we have been given the greatest gift of salvation. We don't have an excuse any longer. The Bible actually tells us we're without excuse. And so we can take personal responsibility to have life-giving relationships. No, we cannot control that other person. But we can take ownership of looking in the mirror. And actually nobody is responsible to look in the mirror of relationships and the Bible than us. Nobody can do that for you. You know, I was uh, inspecting my kids' bathroom this week and to see if they cleaned it. And it looked really clean. And then I lifted up the toilet and I was like, this underneath the rim is really you know, looks like what happens underneath the rim. And so I was like, you need to clean this. You missed it. And one of my children was like, I don't clean pee. And I was like, really? I was like, how is that going to go for you one day when you own a home? (laughs) And and they were convinced that they were not going to ever have to do that. Um, And for some reason, their determination and passion in that moment was going to change the fact that that was always going to be something they were going to have to do, but I was thinking of when I was young. I was also just like every other teenager. My mom would want me to go clean, and she had supersonic eyes. And all of a sudden, she saw all this stuff that like I didn't clean, and I had spent a lot of time. And I'm sure enough, it was, you know, really, really good. And she would come in and show me all the things I missed. Because why? There is something that happens when you own a home. It's different. And so she may not understand or see that underneath the rim till she leaves my home. But she's going to see it when she owns her own home. Because it's different when you own something. Before Christ, we could blame our brother. We could wait for our mom to fix it, fix our mess and our irresponsibility. But after Christ, we have everything we need to take responsibility for our part. And guess what? You don't have to take responsibility for someone else's part. Now, we pray for others. Sometimes we have those conversations in relationship, in life group, in serve team, maybe with our spouse, maybe with our children. But we are not in charge of someone else changing. But we are in charge of owning our part. And so at times people avoid personal responsibility, and this is not new. It's usually through blame shifting. Even the first man started this in Genesis. Adam said, it's not me, it's this wife you've given me, this woman. She messed it all up, and if she wouldn't have done it, then I wouldn't have done it. And here he goes on this list of excuses. And then his son, you would think his son would have learned, but his son did the same thing. So Cain brought an an offering, and if you want to look more into these stories, these are in Genesis. Cain brought an offering. Abel brought an offering. They were brothers. And Cain's offering was not the right kind of offering. It's not what God had asked. He actually tried to cut corners. He probably got in a hurry. He probably just tried to do what worked and seemed good for him, but he didn't do it God's way. Then God called him out on it, and he murders his brother. Okay, so how do you shake the responsibility of murder off of your hands? Okay, well, that seems crazy and irrational. And I'm sure he felt a lot of irrational feelings when he got caught. When he got caught for putting the wrong offering down, and then God saying, actually, I can't accept that because that's not what I asked for. I bet he had a lot of irrational feelings. And then when he saw that Abel did the right thing, probably a lot of jealousy, a lot of irrational feelings that were making him feel very passionate and making the situation very hard to be kind and forgiving and loving. And here he goes and takes the situation in his own hands and thinks, okay, I'll just kill him. That'll fix it. And you see how that irrational feeling led him to another irrational action that divided relationships and was harmful. And so we see it in the New Testament too. Here, Pilate whom is the ruler, he says, I wash my hands. It's not my responsibility. You can kill Jesus. He's innocent, but you can do that. I'm not responsible because he feared the people. Another irrational feeling. And so as irrational as it sounds that you can't, you're not going to take responsibility in taking part of murder, that's how we have to look at the log in our eye. This irrational feeling may not hurt me today, but if I leave this log in my eye for a long time, it's going to hurt me and others. And there may be some things that this causes that I can't fix. And so let's take the log out of our eye today and let's get out of irrational feelings and let's allow the Holy Spirit to lead us to unity. And he does that through the word of God. He The word of God protects the unity in our relationships. And so one of the things that I want to talk about, if we're really going to say, it's not you, it's me, then we're going to really have to come up with a strategic plan because irrational feelings are not something that we're going to just say, I'm not going to have those anymore we have to recognize them. And then when we recognize them, we've got to do something with them. And when we do something with them, we got to do the right thing with them. And so there are four questions I want to teach you today about how to ask yourself when you're feeling irrationally, when you're feeling like someone's speck in their eye is taking away your joy and your peace. Let's say it's not you, it's me. And let's ask these four questions. So the first question is, What are you feeling? Now, we don't want this feeling to lead us. But we do want to recognize it so that it doesn't still kill and destroy. And all of a sudden, we're in a situation where we're like, I don't even know how I got here. But recognizing it is our first step. So it may be rejection. It may be, go ahead and get that first question up on the screen. It may be insignificance or feeling overwhelmed or out of control. You know, you name it. There's moments in life where we feel disrespected. I said earlier, the feeling of being unheard. And I think that it's very important for us to not just say I'm frustrated, but go deeper and say, actually, I feel rejected or betrayed. And most likely it doesn't have anything to do with the person in front of us. It often has a lot more to do with a past story in our life experience that was hurtful and maybe needs some more healing. But we're not gonna get healing from blaming the person in front of us. We're gonna get healing by taking what we're feeling to the Lord and saying, this irrational feeling, I'm passionate about it, it's strong. I feel like I'm right. I feel like I'm owed to feel this but I need to give this to you because your word says to humble myself. And the second one is what am I doing due to that feeling? It's important for us to say, this is actually the destructive behavior that's coming from the fact that I feel that way. I feel out of control or I feel jealous and I'm making everybody else's life miserable. I'm yelling at everybody. Or maybe I'm isolating, and giving everybody the silent treatment. I'm canceling them, I'm throwing them away. or I'm putting so much pressure on them that they're never going to be ever able to hold that. And the next thing is is, what is the truth? We've got to combat the feeling we have, knowing that it's most likely connected to a lie, and allow the truth of God's word to replace that lie. Now, many of you have probably gone through our freedom class, but if you haven't, I would highly recommend you signing up for our freedom class. It's going to help you so much and put so many tools to so that you can use to overcome the enemy. And so the thing is, is when we say what is the truth, I want to just go down these three questions, and I'll just use a quick example. Let's use, I feel scared. What am I doing due to that feeling? I'm mad at everybody because I feel so heavy right now and so everybody I feel like everybody is taking on the brunt of my fear because in every room I walk in I'm yelling at them because I am personally and internally scared that something is gonna happen and then number three is what is the truth okay that's where we bring the Word of God and say God has not given me a spirit of fear but a power love and of a sound mind, that's where I say, you know what, even if this thing I'm scared of happens, God has not left me. God is for me. I can never be separated from his love. No matter what happens on this earth, I'm going to replace the feeling with the truth. And then the fourth question is, what am I going to do now that I know the truth? And so this refers to the scripture in James we talked about. Don't look in the mirror and forget what you look like. Let's actually apply the word. So if I've declared that I don't have to have a spirit of fear, that was a choice. That's what the enemy wants me to choose. But I can can choose power from the Holy Spirit. I can choose love that he gives and flows through me. I can use the sound mind that I have in Christ. The word of God says we have the mind of Christ. And what am I gonna do now that I know the truth? I'm gonna humble myself and pray. And then I'm gonna repent to the people whom I maybe lashed out at, or maybe blamed, or maybe made excuses. I'm gonna go repent, and I'm gonna humble myself, and then I'm gonna trust the Lord because the Bible says when I cast my anxieties on Him, I've gotta remember that He cares for me. And so we can do this on a regular basis. I have, we do this at our home all the time. We do this with our children. And you know, my children, there's some of them that still haven't gotten the vision for it. And so they're like, oh, and, um, but there's some of them, they're like, this actually helps. This actually really helps. And so I'll be like, go do your four questions and they'll go and write them down. And they have seen the fruit of looking at the relationships in their life as a mirror and the Bible as a mirror. And they realize that they're the one responsible to do something with that truth and it's changing relationships. Now, who wants better relationships in this room? I hope everybody. And I believe that you can have them. And I hope that today has not only ministered to your heart, but I hope that you've taken on some things that you can use Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. But I wanna encourage you, if this is the only time you get the Word of God, it will be a lot easier to forget what you look like in the mirror. I want to encourage you that you can pick up your Bible daily and read it and spend time with the Lord and access the intimacy that He has for you. You can go back on our podcast or our live stream and go listen to the Word of God through sermons, maybe through this specific series. The book of Joshua actually tells us that when we meditate the Word of God day and night, that we will be successful. And so if you want success, if you want successful relationships, I would encourage you, don't make Sunday morning the only time that you look in the mirror of the word. Look at it every day, early, often, and always. Now I do wanna pray for us that said that, hey, I want better relationships, and I'm just gonna, in faith, we're all gonna pray together, because I hope that each one of you do. But I think that maybe There may be a person that has come to your mind, maybe a relationship specifically, that you're like, this is a struggling relationship or a hard relationship or a relationship that I really need God's help with. I want you to personally think of that person's name. And we're gonna, I'm gonna have you repeat after me this prayer. And there's a time where I'm gonna say nothing, a space where I'll give you to say that name in your prayer. Don't say it too loud. We want that between you and God, but I'm going to, I want this moment to be a moment that resets your relationship. So y'all repeat this after me, Lord, thank you for the people in my life. Teach me how to be more like you. I submit my feelings to you and repent for my part to play. Help me walk in unity. With who? Help me walk in unity according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear how this message impacted you. Feel free to let us know on the Contact Us tab of the house website. We hope you have a great week.